0: Hey guys, and welcome to the show where we talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. I'm your host Curtis, and today we're going to be talking about the town of Hillsborough. Now a lot of you may have heard of Hillsborough, Uh, a lot of you may not have. I'm actually from Orange County, and I went to school in Hillsborough, so I'm a little biased, I, I like the town, but I want you to know I'm not playing favorites here. I did go to school in Hillsborough, but Hillsborough has a really interesting history and it certainly deserves to be on this show. Now, you know, before I get started, I have to go through the intro stuff and that includes me saying, Hey, if you like the show, go to the website at www.dnceverythingpodcast.com and check out the rest of our episodes. There you can also find links to contact me. Also, you can see a list of all the places you can listen to me which is all the other podcast players out there. I actually got an email just today that says I'm now available on Pandora. So I'm going to be setting that link up on the website probably right after I get done recording today. But if you go to the website, you can contact me and I do want to hear from you. And I say it in just about every episode. It doesn't have to be a substantial email. You can just say, hey, I want to know you're out there listening. I want to know who my listeners are. And I want to hear your stories so you can email me with your North Carolina story. And if you're curious what a North Carolina story sounds like, just go back and listen to my bonus episodes. They don't have to be Shakespeare, but this is the NC everything podcast. So everything about this show will be about North Carolina in one way or another. So now let's get on to the content. Like I said, we're doing Hillsborough today and Hillsborough is in Orange County so I'll start with a little bit of backstory about Orange County. Orange County was formed in 1752, and it was made from Johnston County, Bladen County, and Granville County. And the original Orange County was actually enormous. If you were to go to Google and pull up a North Carolina County map and look at all the different counties, Orange County used to be Olive Castle, Person, Alamance, Durham, and Chatham County. And it was parts of Wake, Lee, Randolph, Guilford, Rockingham, and Granville County. Now, the reason this is important is because a lot of these other counties' histories cross over with Orange County history. So if I cover Orange County history today and in the future, and you go, hey, that didn't happen in Orange County, that happened in Durham. It probably happened in Orange County, but it's also Durham County's history, if that makes any sense. So, for example, my family was one of the original settlers in Orange County, and it certainly was Orange County. However, the land that used to be my family's land is pretty much all the land in between a town called Saxpahal and Swepsonville, and that whole area is well into Alamance County. Now, where did all these Orange County people come from? Well, there was a large migration to the area. We got English Quakers, German Lutherans, and Scotch-Irish Presbyterians from the middle colonies, which is New York, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. And from Eastern North Carolina, we got a lot of North Carolina and Virginia English Anglicans. And yes, that was a lot of different religious groups. I'm not just intentionally emphasizing religion, but just about everybody belonged to some sect of religion back then. It would have been one of your main identifiers. So now we got Hillsborough. Now Hillsborough is the county seat of Orange County. Now, the original inhabitants of the Hillsborough area were the native tribes, the Shikori and the Okanichi of the Saponi Nation. And I've actually read about other tribes. I think the Tuscarora kind of moved through here. I feel like I read somewhere that there was a, a group called the Eno and even the Sisipahal, which were a little bit farther west. I think they had some ties to Hillsborough as well. Now, if it sounds like there's some confusion about who moved through here, this is why. There was a path called the Great Trading Path. You might have heard about a little road called Interstate 8540. Well, this was the Native American version of it. It was just a series of trails between Native American villages, but it went a long ways. And it covered a lot of Native American villages. And a lot of the natives traded back and forth on this. And then when the Europeans arrived, they ended up using it to trade with the natives too. And in fact, it eventually became a wagon road. So, the best they can tell, the great trading path started at Fort Henry, which is modern day Petersburg, Virginia. And from there it went to Okaneechee Island, which is at Clarksville, Virginia. And then it headed south to North Carolina. There it crossed over the Tar River near Oxford. It went over the Flat and Little Rivers north of Durham. Over the Eno River in Hillsborough. Over the Hall River in Swepsonville over the Uwari River west of Ashboro, over the Yadkin River near Spencer, to the Catawba River near Charlotte. Now from here, the trail ran west toward lower Cherokee and south toward modern day Columbia, South Carolina. So as you can see, there might be traces of a lot of different tribes all along this trail. And Hillsboro was established where the Eno River crossed a Great Trading Path. It was established in 1754 by a guy named William Churton, and his original plan laid the town out over, over a span of 400 acres. And if you're curious about what 400 acres looks like, if you've ever been to the state fair, that's that state fair ground today is about 400 acres. And the town went through several names. Originally, it was called Orange, uh, named after Orange County, I'm assuming. And then it was changed to Corbington. And in 1759, it was changed to Childsburg. Finally, in 1766, the name Hillsborough was chosen after William Hill. He was the Earl of Hillsborough and Secretary of State for the Colonies from 1768 to 1772 under King George III. Now, for some reason, which I couldn't really find a good explanation to, Hillsborough turned into a major center for colonial business. I'm sure being on the great trading path had something to do with that. But either way, Hillsborough very quickly became a a hustle and bustle colonial town. Now, the reason I picked Hillsborough for this episode wasn't because it was just a cool place that I grew up in. It has a really, really interesting history, like I said. Now, have you ever met a person where it seems like everything happens to them, good or bad? Kind of like Forrest Gump. All the stuff happens to Forrest Gump. That's kind of the way Hillsboro is in my eyes. Like, a lot of stuff, good and bad, just took place here for some reason. Take the Regulator Movement, for example. Now, the Regulators was a group organized in the 1760s, and they organized to fight the corruption in local government. So, the backcountry farmers were getting abused by crooked colonial politicians, and I say farmers, but it was... Mostly like the lower class, if, you, if we were using class systems, because the rich didn't seem to be affected as much. These farmers and lower class were getting beat up with excessive taxes, dishonest fees, and crooked law officials. And so in 1768, they all band together, as the regulators, to fight the corruption. Most of them refused to pay their taxes, they terrorized the lawmen, and they disrupted a lot of court proceedings. In 1771, Governor Tryon's council advised him to gather a militia and march against the regulators. Now, Governor Tryon, I'm probably going to end up doing an episode on him. Um, long story short, he was ran out of North Carolina. He was not a very liked man at all. And having a humongous house down in Newburn while everybody else was kind of starving and living in huts didn't help his case at all. But Tryon ordered General Hugh Waddell... To approach Hillsborough from Salisbury to the west. Now Tron and his forces, they were going to take a more direct route to Hillsborough. Waddell, he was attacked along the way, and he was grossly outnumbered. So on may eleventh, Tryon set out from Hillsborough to go rescue Waddell. Now after resting near Alamance Creek, Tron gathered his troops, which was about a thousand men, and he started heading toward the regulators. They were 5 miles away, and they had about 2,000 men. When they clashed, this was called the Battle of Alamance. Now it seems like the Regulators would have whooped Tron pretty easily since they had twice as many men, however Tron's militia was a lot better trained. So the battle actually ended up being kind of one sided, and they beat the Regulators pretty easily, and 15 of them were taken prisoner, and the rest of them kind of fled. So in June 1771, the regulator movement was officially put down. Six of the regulators who were captured were hanged in Hillsboro. There's actually a marker to show where these guys were hanged at. And if you know the, the area pretty good, it's over there by Cameron Park Elementary School. Well, not long after this, the Revolutionary War broke out. And there were a lot of small skirmishes around Orange County between the Loyalists, who were loyal to the throne, and the Rebels, which was our guys. And Cornwallis actually occupied Hillsborough for about a week in 1781. And this was prior to the Battle of Guilford Courthouse, which is a pretty famous battle in in our area. Cornwallis stayed at a place that ended up being a tavern. I tried to track down exactly where he stayed at in Hillsborough. I couldn't really find anything definitive, but I did find out that the tavern that he supposedly stayed at was eventually tore down. So if you're listening and you can tell me a little bit more about where he stayed at in Hillsborough, feel free to write in. After the war, in 1788, North Carolina chose Hillsborough for the site of the Constitutional Convention, and this took place at St. Matthew's Church, which is a church of England. I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But this is where they debated and voted on whether or not to ratify the U.S. Constitution. Now, a lot of you might be thinking Hillsborough today doesn't really seem that important, not important enough to have a constitutional convention here. But keep in mind, in 1781, they actually chose Hillsborough for the state capital, But because of the raids from the Loyalists that I mentioned earlier, they felt like Hillsborough really wasn't safe enough to have the state capital there. Now let's move on to the Civil War. And I'm going to be on this, this subject for a few minutes. But Hillsborough had the Hillsborough Military Academy. It was built by Colonel Charles II, T-E-W, and it was a three-story brick castle-like barrack. And he wanted, to, he wanted it to be like the Citadel. Which, if you don't know, the Citadel's a really famous military academy. But Charles, too, was a graduate of the Citadel. That's why he wanted to recreate his own version in Hillsborough. However, he was killed at Sharpsburg. Now, you may know Sharpsburg as Antietam. But that was a really famous battle in Maryland. And after he was killed, the school closed. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole history of the Civil War. A lot of the Civil War was in Virginia, though there were some key events in North Carolina. And one of the most notable key events in North Carolina was actually toward the end of the war, right after General Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. And this was General Johnston's surrender to General Sherman at a farm called the Bennett Place. So, for a little backstory, you may have heard of Sherman's march to the sea, but He pretty much went from Atlanta to the Atlantic coast, destroying everything in his path, and then started moving north toward North Carolina. Meanwhile, the Confederate Army was doing their best to stop him, and they weren't doing very good. Eventually, General Sherman was parked right outside of Raleigh. Now, this is General Tecumseh Sherman, if you want to look up more about him. Well, General Joseph E. Johnston was in Hillsborough. He was planning on heading for Greensboro, but for now, he was parked in Hillsboro. And his headquarters was actually the Hillsboro Visitor Center, if you're interested. While he was staying in Hillsboro, this is where he decided to reach out to General Sherman and talk about surrender. And so on April 17th, they met at the farm of James Bennett. And the goal was to surrender all of the Southern armies in North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Now, when the president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis, got word of this... His idea was for Johnson to surrender the troops and escape with the cavalry so they could regroup later. But Johnson disobeyed orders, and he wanted to surrender all. There's a quote, and I wish I'd written it down, but Johnston pretty much said it would be a crime against humanity to continue the war. Keep in mind, at this time, Lee did surrender in Virginia, Lincoln had been assassinated, and Sherman had been tearing up railroads and burning buildings all the way from Atlanta. His men were outnumbered and starving. So when the two met at the Bennett place, Sherman offered the same terms offered to General Lee by General Grant at Appomattox. Now, Johnston, he wasn't quite satisfied with these. He wanted to guarantee some safety for his own men. Well, by sundown on the 18th of April, they had come to terms and a surrender had been signed by both generals. On April 20th, Sherman sent Major Henry Hitchcock to Washington to deliver the surrender document personally to General Grant. The cabinet of the new president, Andrew Johnson, rejected the surrender. They wanted General Sherman to continue the assault on the Confederates for fear they may regroup. They wanted the Confederate Army to be completely annihilated. Also, they were pretty bitter because President Lincoln had just been assassinated, so I can kind of understand their bitterness But not only did they want Sherman to continue his attack, they wanted to publicly humiliate him for even considering the possibility of accepting a surrender. And they spread the word to other Union generals to ignore Sherman's lead and continue attacking the Confederate Army. So Sherman was ordered to give Johnston 48 hours notice and then commence attack. So Sherman and Johnston met a second time to no avail. Eventually, General Grant travels to North Carolina to meet with Sherman, He does this kind of secretly. He didn't want the Confederate or the Union Army to really see him there because he didn't want it to provoke one side or the other. But he gives Sherman some advice, and they talk back and forth. And on April 26th, there was a third meeting between Sherman and Johnston. Sherman insisted that he could only offer the same terms that General Grant gave General Lee at Appomattox. Johnston really didn't like these terms, And Sherman knew that more terms were needed, but that his government would reject them. But eventually, Johnston gave in and accepted the terms. So after nine days and three meetings, a surrender was agreed upon, and nearly 90,000 Confederate troops were surrendered in Durham, making this the largest surrender of Southern troops. I want to add this little part at the end. Over the course of these nine days that it took them to come up with a surrender, General Sherman and General Johnston actually became really close friends, and this friendship would last for the next 26 years. Now, not to get into a Civil War debate, but this kind of goes to show you that, that for everybody, the war wasn't fought out of hate, it was fought out of duty and responsibility. Alright, now moving on a few years, let's get up to the Okanichi Speedway. Now, Julian Carr owned a farm, and on that farm was a half-mile horse track. Bill France, who was the co-founder of NASCAR, saw this horse track when he flew over Hillsborough in the 1940s. So pretty quickly, Bill France bought the land in 1948. He got the track ready for the 1949 racing season and expanded the length of the track. This was actually one of the first tracks longer than a half mile, making it one of NASCAR's first super speedways. And on race days, over 15,000 people would head up to Hillsborough to watch. Some of the more famous drivers there were Fireball Roberts, Junior Johnson, who you may remember from a Moonshine episode, Richard Petty, and Louise Smith, who was actually the first female driver for NASCAR. Everything seemed pretty hunky-dory for the Okaneechee Speedway, except for one problem. Race day was on Sunday. That meant that a lot of church pews were going empty on Sunday morning, and so the church leaders in Orange County formed the Orange County Anti-Race Association. Well, they fought and fought and fought, and eventually they did beat NASCAR. So the final race at Okanichi was held on September 15th, 1968. It was the Hillsboro 150, and Richard Petty won it. Richard Petty also won the last race at the state fairgrounds, if you remember from that episode. So maybe Richard Petty is just bad luck for racetracks. But anyway, you can go see the Okanichi Speedway today. They've kind of cleaned it up and turned it into a walking trail. And it's actually a really cool place to go because the stands are still there. They have a couple old race cars sitting on the tracks. And the infield has been kept up and cleaned. And the old concession stands are still up on the hill. So if you got an hour with nothing to do, head on over to Hillsborough and check out that racetrack. I will post some pictures of it in my show notes. The next thing I want to talk about is the pyrophilite Quarry. And if I said that wrong, don't worry... I actually couldn't find a lot of information on the quarry, so I won't be saying it much. But pyrophyllite is used for ceramics in paints, insecticides, and in the production of rubber. It is also used as a minor ornamental stone for carvings and sculptures. And yes, that's word for word from the encyclopedia. Well, the quarry in Hillsborough was actually just one of two sites in the United States for this mineral. And Hillsborough's was regarded as some of the best in the world. And that's it. That's all I could really find on the quarry. If you know more about it, again, write the show at www.dnceverythingpodcast.com. I would love to know more about this quarry. The next one is also pretty short too, and that's Hillsborough Hog Day. And that's, that's actually a really huge event in Hillsborough, but again, I couldn't find a whole lot written on it. It did start in 1983, and it was started to raise money for youth programs and services around the county. And it's actually the county's largest and oldest event. And it's usually held in mid-September, but not this year, thanks to coronavirus. Now, before I move on to some of the historic homes in Hillsboro, I want to tell you about the Riverwalk. The Riverwalk goes from West End Hillsboro through downtown and down along the Eno River toward the Okanichi Speedway. And it actually crosses over the Great Indian Trading Path. And there's a marker there showing you exactly where it's at. But the Riverwalk is actually part of the Mountain to Sea Trail, which starts in Klingman's Dome, and it goes all the way across the state and ends at Jockey's Ridge State Park, which is what I covered in my last episode. Now, Hillsboro's full of old, old houses, like famously old. I think I read somewhere there's over a 100 historic houses in Hillsboro. I'm not going to read you a 100. I think I got three or four written down that I want to tell you about. The first one I already mentioned a little bit but it's the Alexander Dixon house. It's actually General Johnson's headquarters when he was in Hillsboro. And today it's the visitor center. Air Mount is the next one. That's A-Y-R-M-O-U-N-T. And it's a brick plantation house. And if you see a picture, it don't look very significant, but it was built in 1815 and it was one of the first brick homes in Hillsboro. The next one is called Moorefields and it was built in 1785, and it's the summer home of Alfred Moore, who is the founder of UNC Chapel Hill. And the last one is the Hillsborough Presbyterian Church. It was built in 1816, and it's built on the site of the 1766 Church of England, which was St. Matthew's. This is where the Constitutional Convention was held, but the building that's there now, the 1816 Presbyterian Church. It's actually the oldest Presbyterian church building in the state. Now, before I get done with this show, I got one fun fact and I got one advertisement. I'm not getting paid for this advertisement. It's my own personal one. But if you go to Hillsboro, you really need to go check out Cup of Joe. Again, they're not paying me for this, but I rarely go to Hillsborough without stopping at this coffee shop. They have some of the best coffee in the area. And all sorts of baked goods like s'mores bars and scones and muffins and these ginger cookies that I like to dip into the coffee, and they're right in the heart of Hillsboro. So if you ever wanted to tour Historic Hillsboro, Cumpa Joe is definitely a great place to start that tour. And my fun fact of the episode—now I could actually read you fun facts about Hillsboro for three hours, but this is one I came across and I stuck it in my notes. But the first paper mill in North Carolina was built in Hillsborough in 1777, near where Churton Street crosses the Eno River. Now I know it may be lame to end the show on one fun fact, but it's my show. I'll end it how I want to. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. I know it ran on a little longer than my other episodes, but I've been wanting to cover Hillsborough for a while. It's, like I said, a very unique town, and I really do hope you enjoyed hearing about it. Now, I've not been to every town in North Carolina. If you think your town is pretty unique, visit the show's website at www.dnceverythingpodcast.com and there you'll find links where you can email me and tell me all about your unique town. And I promise you, I really do want to hear about it. Also at the website, you can listen to all my past episodes, you can see the show notes for each episode, including pictures, and you can see all the different podcast players that I'm available on. And don't forget to subscribe to one of them. Those subscriptions really mean a lot to me, they let me know you're out there, and you're listening, and you enjoy the show. And with that being said, I'll talk to you next time. The audio in this episode comes from archesaudio.com.